Hello and welcome to Is Now the Right Time to Invest in Local Assets, a discussion and podcast sponsored by PSG Wealth. Over the past 15 years, it has been favorable for investors to diversify uh, their portfolios by investing locally and offshore, with offshore being the alpha generator and local, the diversifier. This was due to the growth potential of uh, the US and the rally in the markets. However, given that our current economic state differs from uh, the previous 15 years, a different investment approach uh, should be taken. SA Investments have now become the option uh, with more alpha generation and potential than the US, meaning the shift should be the inverse of the preceding 15 years. I'm Leo Gavaza, a business writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for what looks to be quite a fascinating discussion. And joining me for today, we are with Adrian Pask, who is uh, the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth, who will explain that while South Africa faces various challenges, investors need to remain objective to ensure they are rewarded in the long term. Adrian, greetings to you today. Hi, Mediva. Thank you very much for having me. Now, as always, thank you so much for being with us. And I think to get things, uh, you know, rolling, if one compares the South African and the U.S. economic backdrop at the moment, what is PSG's view on economics when considering investments? Well, we're not really um, specifically top-down or bottom-up investors just looking at either the macro environment or valuation. Um, instead, we follow a, a pragmatic approach where we try to contextualize um, opportunities and risks. So um, we'll consider valuation and the macro picture amongst a wider range of factors. But that being said, we know at the moment, as the significant monetary policy changes with interest rates moving higher, that the macro is becoming increasingly influential on, on the prospects of opportunities and the impact of the risks that come with that. So I think in the South African context, the, the risks and challenges are, are quite well known by, by the audience. But I mean, if we think of the high level factors, obviously increasing interest rates affecting most countries around the world at the moment. South Africa has a, a problem with ESCOM. Our unemployment rate has been escalating for a very, very long point of time. It's, it's just unsustainable. Um, and all these things have affected just very poor sentiment overall on, on through most sectors. So. If we look at consumer confidence, it looks poor. Business confidence is under pressure and foreign direct investment is also not where it should be. In the foreign markets, the risks are only now starting to appear. So as there's rising interest rates off this very low base that that we've seen, especially in developed markets, some of these risks are starting to surface and becoming a bit of a concern. I think foremost for me would be excessive debt levels, which has sort of been uh, a gamble on growth. So the, the thinking then was we can incur more debt to try and stimulate the economy. As long as we'll grow, we'll be able to pay off those debts. But now all of a sudden there's higher interest rates and there's no means of lowering that given the inflation problem. So you can't stimulate for growth as much as what you can or could. And at the same time, you've got fiscal policy, which is already under pressure with high levels of debt. But so you can't use that in addition to try and stimulate for growth. So you end up with a potentially lethal situation where there's um, a lot of debt that needs to be repaid, but no clear signs as to where growth is going to come from. So it helps to be quite objective in a situation like that. And if we look at the 
the, the main macro, macroeconomic variables. We appreciate that South Africa's employment problem is, is a severe one. I mean, there's no comparison to, to the US, for example, where they're still seeing record levels of low unemployment. But if we look at our debt to GDP, just by way of example, our debt to GDP numbers are below OECD countries. It's below 70%. We in the US, it's, it's uh, 140%. In the UK, um, it's similarly high. Most developed markets actually, actually north of 100%. So our debt problem is not as bad. And inflation is something that we've managed to navigate quite well. So inflation rates are quite similar in both countries. In, in the US, it's marginally higher. But I must say, I think our professional money managers are probably very equipped to navigate a period like this. Most investors in the U.S. haven't seen inflation. So the guys professionally man- managing money have never seen inflation at these levels. The last time um, there was inflation at these levels were in the late 70s, early 80s, where in our case, we saw similar levels of inflation just in 2016, which isn't too long ago. And we see these sporadic periods of inflation shooting out. So it feels to me like our professional money managers are somewhat very equipped for the prevailing conditions out there. And I think the last thing that's really helped quite a bit, and it links back to the debt-to-GDP numbers, is um, the higher commodity prices. So, I mean, during COVID, we saw all the budget speeches and and midterm budget speeches come out with numbers that indicated that our debt to GDP could also be above 100%. But in those forecasts, obviously, they budget quite conservatively. We can't put in high commodity prices in there, but that is what transpired. So the the latest um, debt to GDP numbers obviously factor in high commodity prices, which has been good for, for most of our economic metrics, including our current account deficit, our taxes, and our, our primary budget. So all those numbers are coming out significantly better than what we initially anticipated. And on all those levels, it actually still looks better than most developed markets. Our inflation rate is not unknown to us. Our current account is actually positive. If you look at the US, for example, it's still, um, it's been deteriorating for a long time, but it, it's in, in very poor shape, actually. So I think from that perspective, um, I think we're actually in, in, in much better shape on a relative basis than what is commonly believed. There's a lot to digest from what you've just said, uh, Adrian, and I think it speaks to the fact that making uh, investment decisions isn't a simple and, uh, you know, clear cut uh, type of experience um, or endeavor. But one of the big things that does come through, you know, from everything that you're saying is the fact that where we sit at the moment is sort of evidence that uh, some of these things are cyclical. At a time, some of those offshore investments places like the US was the place to be. But at the moment, that tide seems to be turning. Who knows, in a couple of years, we might come back around. But for now, there is uh, an opportunity for some of the, you know, local investments to shine in that market. Now, we know that most countries are under extreme fiscal pressure due to the amount of debt that countries hold. I think you alluded to this just now, Adrian. And some say that uh, it's at the highest levels ever. What is your view regarding local government debt compared to some of our developed uh, market compatriots? You know, I think if you look at global debt levels, it, it is in fact at, at record level highs, especially after the GFC. It was sort of the prompt to quantitative easing and uh, it feels like we were trying to claw back some of those debt levels and the next crisis hit and it's sort of a, a 
almost like a, a second mortgage that you're taking out. Um, so there's there's a lot of debt in the system, and obviously as consumers feel pressure, we'll see debt balances um, start to rise in, in that environment as well. So so in short, I think debt levels globally has ballooned over the last 15 years, in particular since GFC, as I've said. What's very interesting to me is that if you, I mean, just going back to to that point in time in my own career, there there was a lot of talk that you know a 60% debt to GDP was the level where you would start to get really concerned because that was what they where there's a snowball on debt and the discussions around potential debt traps or defaults start to come into play. Just because at that level it becomes very difficult to to, to service debt. Um, and that was the con- conventional thinking at the time. Now, all of a sudden, world debt is well in excess of 100% on aggregate, as I mentioned. Developed markets are in excess of 120%, as I've mentioned. So these things are, are a concern. So even for us, um, we, we're roughly at, at that 70% level, um, which is difficult because our debt is also more expensive than what it is in, in, the, in developed markets, although the debt, the debt servicing cost is in, increasing exponentially in developed markets. So yeah, it's it's um, it's becoming a, a increasingly large concern. Um, what we're hoping for, obviously, is is for growth to come through so that debt can be debt can be serviced. But I think for now, with any clear indication of where that growth is going to come from and while interest rates are moving higher, the risks will will persist and the markets will remain uncertain and volatile. Um, and if we look at the South African case, as I say, I think there we're actually pretty well poised. Our, our debt levels are still within reasonable levels if we compare it to what's happening all around the world and largely to say to, to, to commodity prices, as I've mentioned. I think everything that you said, uh, I, I like the fact that you do uh, mark that caveat at the end to say that uh, you do still think that despite everything that you said, that the debt levels are still within uh, reason compared to some of the other markets out there because one would be listening to that and be saying to themselves, Adrian, so you still believe that there's merit in investing in South Africa? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a lot of sympathy for the skeptics. Obviously, what we see transpiring with with ESCOM, corruption and service delivery, uh, the the list goes on. I I can understand why people are extremely skeptical. But I mean, our job as money managers is to to also consider those things. But there are other things that we need to factor into our, our valuation. So risks will always be there, but have they been overpriced into the, the, the asset prices that we see out there? Or are they not sufficiently discounting the risks so they, they're still trading at high levels than what they should? And our assessment of, of the scenario is that we think that there's a lot of excess risk priced into South African assets at the moment. You know, if we look at our, our bond yields, for example, are trading at around 11%. That's extremely high. They are countries with significantly worse uh, fiscal positions and challenges than, than, than us trading at, at lower yields than that. So, and, and that shouldn't be the case. And if we look at our equities, the price to earnings ratio, so the amount of, of earnings that's yielded as in, in relation to the price that you pay for that asset is at a very attractive level since so it's at high single digits. Now, dividend yields are at 4%, which is it's more than double what you, you get in the US, for example. Profit margins, it would probably surprise most um, listeners to, to know that profit margins in South Africa is higher and significantly higher than what it is in the US. 
Um, I mean, our profit margins on aggregate in South Africa for South African listed companies is north of 15%, where in the U.S. it's now below 12 largely to thank again to the commodity companies that are extremely cash generative at the moment. But but the fact remains there are certainly opportunities here that shouldn't be just ignored based on a, a overly pessimistic view on, on South Africa. So yeah, I think there's definitely areas to 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 remain invested in, in South African assets. Uh, I like the fact that as you're getting into there, we've uh, gone through the length and breadth of all the reasons, uh, you know, you've made quite a compelling case about why this is probably a good time for people to be looking inward for their investments where your main investment is uh, local and you're diversing more and your offshore investment is your diversification instead of the reverse, like what we've seen over the years. Is there anything left to be said, Adrian, for anyone who has perhaps been listening to this entire discussion, has uh, heard all of your reasons and the argument that you've laid out and still believes that offshore investments are a better option right now? No, I think it's a difficult debate. So obviously, each client has different needs. It depends on what you need to do with your savings and, and where you reside and where the majority of your expenses sit and, and what you perceive as, as risk, up, I guess. But you know the way that we look at it uh, objectively in, in in a fund, for example, is we we try to to look on it on a risk adjusted basis. And if you look at offshore investments, they really offer you two things. They they offer you a wider opportunity set by investing offshore and, and considering other regions. And by virtue of that, you should expect your returns to to improve. And at the same time, in a portfolio uh, domestically. Offshore exposure has historically been a, a very good diversifier. So, again, thinking back to COVID, when the rand blew out in 1950 to the dollar, that's a good example of how an offshore component in a portfolio can help you quite a lot to to buffer some of the the turbulence and and, and losses. But I think it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of the opportunity that comes with offshore investing and the and the diversification benefit. So, if you if you think back to 10 years ago, for example, we thought that offshore investing had excellent prospects. It had great investment prospects, if you look at the opportunity set, but also the diversification properties were still quite intact because the dollar wasn't as expensive. In 2020, we saw that given that the, the strong recovery in asset prices in the U.S., meant that the stocks were getting more expensive, we felt that the opportunity set was actually receding. But still, there was a compelling diversification argument that you could make for holding it. Where, where we are at the moment is we're seeing, you know, a high valuations and a strong dollar, which introduces some complexity. So um, more recently, we, like this year now, we've seen asset prices come down. So we should expect a, a number of opportunities to start to increase as things are going to become a little bit more attractive. But the dollar does still worry me. Um, I, I think the traditional diversification properties that come with offshore investing is a little bit compromised when we see a dollar as strong as what we do at the moment. So as we're coming to the end of today's discussion, Adrian, to sort of conclude today's chat and, uh, you know, this argument around looking at uh, SA investments, you've just highlighted just now the risk that uh, you sort of feel is carried by a strong dollar. What are the risks at the moment are there for those that are still adamant that investing abroad is the way forward right now? 
I think, I mean, there's always space for offshore investing in a portfolio, but as I say, that the, the risks are, are, are definitely um, quite meaningful and, and need to, to be taken into account. And I think we, we're very good as investors locally to identify domestic risks quite accurately. We're in the offshore space. It feels like we've got, you know, we've got lenses on. We, we don't necessarily see all the, all the risks um, that are escalating. You've, you've mentioned the strong dollar. I think that does remain the key one. I think there is a dangerous narrative out there that says that the dollars, the reserve currency, can only go in one direction. I would urge anybody that, that has that view to look at what happened in the early 2000s after the dot-com bubble to, to the dollar. An event like that um, worries us. In terms of other risks, um, I've mentioned the re- receding margins. I think uh, obviously that's already happening. U.S. margin seems to have peaked at the end of last year, and they're slowly moving out as expenses go, go up. And I think that will mean that uh, analysts will need to adjust and update the consensus expectations. And that hasn't really played through to the market yet, in my view. So I think that's something else that we need to, to bring into the into the conversation. Developed market bonds will continue to take pain as long as interest rates rise. In Europe, there's significant issues. We all are aware of the war, but I think in addition to that, European bonds worry us. There's a lot of complexities around how the bond market works in that environment, but it is something that you need to think of carefully. China has issues around their growth that you need to factor into your into your thinking as well. It, it's been a while since um, China has struggled with with growth, but that is something that is key for global markets. So yeah, those are some of the key risks that 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 come to mind. It feels like we're in a strange position where. We haven't seen so many risks in offshore space in quite some time. All right. So that's been it. You know, very fascinating discussion. Adrian, just making the case uh, that uh, local investments are a good way to go at the moment, sort of highlighting the fact that when it comes to some of the returns out there, that the local market in South Africa, you know, does present good returns. Um, he mentioned something earlier on about the fact that when you look at uh, some of the listed counters, that uh, there's very good profitability for some of those listed stocks as compared to what you see in other parts of the world. But also at the same time, highlighting the fact that issues of debt do continue to be a little bit of a burden on the South African economy, particularly government debt, but that it's not too crazy um, at the moment and that still believes that it is the way forward. For those that do still want to look at offshore investments, because there is a place for those offshore investments, um, one of the biggest risks at the moment is that uh, US dollar strength and uh, you know Adrian just highlighting the fact that despite its reserve uh, reserve currency status it doesn't always mean that this is something that is going to always be trending upwards because if you look in history like what happened uh, soon after the dot com bubble burst um, in the early 2000s then it sort of tells us and shows us a different kind of story so that uh, brings us us to the end to this podcast on whether or not is now the right time to invest in local assets that was sponsored by PSG Wealth. I've been your host, Mudiwa Gawaza, business writer um, with the Business Day and Financial Mail. Thank you so much to Adrian Pask, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at uh, PSG Wealth. Remember that you can subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Cards, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. Podcasts.